Thanks, man. Well, thanks, Tanner. I, uh, did he really say nine-sixth? Yeah. <laughs> what was your major? <laughs> Math. <laughs> well, it's a joy to be here uh, with you. I do, uh, he is right, they're, they're, I despise mushrooms. Anybody with me on that? Hey, come on, listen. It's a, no, no, hang on. Work, work with me. It's a fungus. Okay. <laughs> And most of them, if you try to eat, you die. So, I, I mean, what, what, was, what is the purpose? You're just like a daredevil every time. You want to saute some death and just kind of, it doesn't make any sense to me. So, it's good to be here in Montana. I love this church. I love Tanner. I love this, this um, opportunity in ministry here at Montana State. I, I'm not, I know you're poor college students, so I'm not begging. But I have to get over because I want a Montana State. Let me say that again. Stand up. I want a Montana State uh, sweatshirt before I go home. I don't think I'm going to give that one, am I? Okay. I got to get a cool Montana State sweatshirt, navy and large, if you're asking. Anyway, um, uh, it is really a cool opportunity to be here tonight with you and talk about relationships. I have a. I've taught on relationships with collegians over the years. I was a college pastor in Southern California for about 14 years. And in doing that, we had to cycle through about every four years talking about relationships. Now, that was all theoretical to me. This year, I have a college freshman. He's at Boyce College in Louisville, Kentucky. And there are girls there. (laughs) And I don't trust any of you, them. It's... That they want to take my boy away from me forever. But if they give me grandbabies with my name, I'll be okay. Anyway, um, it's uh, it, seriously. It's this subject has become so much more real to me and to my wife over the last year as we prepared it. Because we had some strange rules, and we got made fun of so much over the last years, especially, uh, I have two high schoolers now, and they're getting made fun of a little bit. We had a strange rule in our house. Here it is. You can't date until you're ready to get married. You say, well, that's radical. No, here, here, let me, hear me out a minute. It doesn't make sense for two ninth graders to have that ooey-gooey, rich and chewy feeling in their heart where they look in each other's eyes and they feel that feeling that they've never felt before and call that feeling love and say, we're, we're going to hold on for eight years. <laughs> Twelve if you want to go to graduate school. Sixteen if you're going to be a doctor. We're going to be holy, pure, above reproach, love the Lord, honor Jesus, and we're in love. What does that even mean? What does in love mean? I mean, if we were to break everybody down and say, what does in love mean? It would be interesting to pull those, those responses. Why should a person date? Let me just give you my thesis from the very beginning. I'm a Bible guy. I look at the Bible. I try to interpret what it says and apply it to my life and my church. There is no reason to date unless there's a potential for that relationship to end in marriage. Otherwise, you're recreational recreating with the opposite sex. Any other reason you can give me, you could probably do with guys with guys and girls with girls. You want to hang out? Hang out with guys. You want to hang out? Hang out with girls. But you're in a position right now where you need to be deliberate and intentional, decisive about how you're going to do 
relationships. Take your Bibles, if you have them, and turn to Proverbs chapter 30. We're going to be bouncing around a little bit tonight. Proverbs chapter 30. Now, while you're turning there, the, the subject matter we're going to be talking about tonight, I did in 14 weeks. And we're going to do it in about 45 minutes, I hope, Lord willing. Keyword, Lord willing. Proverbs 30, this is Agur. The last two chapters talk a lot about wives obtaining a wife. In fact, if you turn over to, to Proverbs 31, um, uh, Lemuel. Remember, Solomon collected the Proverbs and uh, arranged them. And he collected some Proverbs from two guys named Agur and Lemuel that become chapter 30 and 31 at the end of Proverbs. If you look at the first of the chapter, you'll see that that's what they are. Well, in chapter 31, verse 10, it says, 10, it says An excellent wife who can find... Illustration. you got to look at me. I'm raising my hand. Okay. That didn't work. I, I thought that was going to be so funny. You were going to say, oh, he's raising his hand. Let's try it again. An excellent wife who can find. Okay, good. it works. When you have to explain your jokes, it's not good, okay? <laughs> it's not good at all. Who can find an excellent wife? Who can find an excellent husband? Her worth is far above Jules, well, can I turn back one, one chapter? This is interesting, talking about relationships. Verse 18 of chapter 30. There are three things which are too wonderful for me. Four which I do not understand. Then he gets some illustrations. The way of an eagle in the sky. I mean, have you ever watched an eagle just float? Eagles, hawks, falcons, they have the ability to, to almost levitate using the up currents and just, just to stand still. It's incredible. The way of a serpent on a rock. I mean, watching a snake crawl is just weird. I want to get, put them on a glass and get a look upside. How do they do that? It's really weird. The way of a ship in the middle of the sea. If you don't see the rudder, I mean, how does it work its way out? And then what's the last thing that he does not understand? And the way of a man with a young woman, a maid. He's saying, I, it's hard to understand romance. It's really hard to understand romance because guys and girls have different understandings of romance, okay? I found this out when I was dating. So guys, listen up. Girls, plug your ears and hum some kind of tune, all right? <laughs> I thought romance was picking up Kim, bringing her to a place where there was a television on Saturday, and watching college football. And letting her enjoy my enjoyment of college football. Yes. Can I get an amen, men? Amen. amen. That's good. Her idea of romance was entirely different. I tried her idea of romance once. <laughs> we, we have a very good relationship. I love my bride. She's uh, 20 years this year. We... We even like each other. We don't just love each other. We actually like each other. It's really amazing. Although, we'll say this. We could not... If we had ever tried to get together online, it would have never worked. We have nothing in common, but we like each other. Anyway, um, so she, she likes Jane Austen, who I confuse forever with Jane Eyre. One's an author, one's a weird girl with a weird guy or something. Is it... I, anyway, I don't, guys don't... Guys, how many of you have read any Jane Austen novels? The girls are going, <laughs> that's good. Anyway, well, we were married as like for our anniversary, so I sat down with her and watched the Senses of Sensibil the Sensibility movie, okay? And I was convinced 
that, and we, it wouldn't work. I'm 10 minutes in and I'm asleep. So she says, no, let's watch this other one. Her name is Anna. Aunt Emma. <laughs> I'm telling you, I watched half this movie. I didn't know who liked who. I didn't know why they were talking the way they were talking. I didn't understand why they were dressing the way they were dressing. And Mr. Darcy, is he in that one? <laughs> it was total disconnect. And so I understood something, that romance is not what they say it is in the movies. Do you have a plan for your romantic pursuits? You have a choice tonight, and you have a choice in your life. And the choice is you're going to define your romance, your relationships, your pursuit of a man, your pursuit of a woman. You're going to define that either by the Bible, which is the book that God wrote, and He knows a few things about men and women. He created Adam and Eve. Or you're going to define your relationships by the world and by your own intuition. The problem is no one's intuition is the same as anyone else's. I want to challenge you tonight that God invented marriage. God knows how relationships should work. When I, there was several years ago, there was this massive conflict between dating and courtship. Is that still going on at all? Why date? Why court? It does, can I just tell you, it doesn't matter. You're going to be married in the end. How you get there is important principally. It's not as important structurally. Um, let me just go to all the way to the end of what I want to say tonight and come back. What we're going to do is talk about some principles. And these principles are things that I think you should learn, apply, come right out of the Bible. But you can't apply these principles in a vacuum. There's two extremes you guys need to avoid. Extreme number one. I will decide... Who I'm going to marry before I ever go out on a date with them. You know those people? You got three girls in the back going, that's me. No, no, that's, you know, they're just going to figure it all out before, well, I don't know that I want to marry you, so we're not going to go out. Give the guys a chance, please. <laughs> Give the short guys a chance, please. <laughs> are, are you laughing with me or at me? Okay. Spend some time, I mean, so the, option one is you got to figure it out before you ever start. Option two is you date, you know, 4,000 people, and, and uh, although you, won't, you never call it dating, you're hanging out and you're doing things with the opposite sex that sure looks like dating, but you don't want to call it dating because you do a lot of it, but you don't want to date anybody. It's kind of like playing house. So you got to avoid both extremes. you got to have a, pers- a deliberate pursuit. Spend time together. Spend time together. And if people spend time together, don't start picking out the colors of their wedding. All right? I saw them at Starbucks. And you know how Starbucks ends. It ends in marriage every time. It's green. They're going to have green in their wedding. Ferns. This this whole thing kind of figured out. So don't do that. All right, here's some fun, though, okay? If, uh, If you love Jesus... You understand your authority is the Bible. You love the Bible. If you're here and you're not sure about that, we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But if you love the Bible and you want to do relationships according to the Bible, how did relationships happen in the Bible? Here here are a few ways that people got wives in the Bible. If you want to look at the the Bible and say, I want to get a wife or a husband like they did in the Bible. Let's see what that looked like. Find an attractive prisoner of war. Bring her home, shave her head, trim her nails, and give her new clothes. Then she's yours, according to Deuteronomy 21, 11, and 13. 
That was what they happened with proselytized nations. Find a prostitute and marry her. That's what Hosea did. It's in the Bible. Find a man with seven daughters and impress him by watering his flock. That's what Moses did in Exodus 2. If you're a girl, because you're thinking, hey, this is all guys finding wives. If you're a girl, here is your plan, girls. Ladies, are you ready? You want to take notes? Get your paper out. Ready? Find a man who you want to marry. Wait until he goes to sleep. On a cold night. When his feet are covered. And uncover his feet so his feet get cold. And lay down by his feet. And when he wakes up to cover his feet, pop up and propose to him. (laughs) What, What story is that? Ruth. That's what happened with Ruth. How about this? Go to a party and hide. And when the women come out to dance, grab one, carry her off to be your wife. That's what the Benjamites did. Benjaminites in um, Judges 21. Have, how about this? I like this, guys. Have God create a wife for you while you're asleep. It's going to cost you a rib, but <laughs> let that happen. That's obviously what Adam, Adam did. How about this? Agree to work seven years in exchange for a woman's hand in marriage with, in a contract with her father. On your wedding night, get tricked into marrying the wrong woman. Take her and consummate your... Wedding and not know it's the wrong woman. I'm not going to go there. <laughs> and then, then work seven more years to get the woman you wanted to marry in the first place. That's right, 14 years for one woman. That's what Jacob did in Genesis 29. <laughs> Cut off 200 foreskins of your future father-in-law's enemies and you get his daughter in exchange for... A wife, a daughter for a wife. That's what David did in 1 Samuel. How about this? Even if no one's out there, just wander around a little bit and you'll definitely find someone. That's what Cain did in Genesis 4. Now, it's all relative, of course. They just got it over here. So They're talking about siblings. I hear what he's saying, so it gets good. Become a huge nation and hold a beauty contest. That's what Ahasuerus did, and he got Esther. When you see someone you like, go home, tell your parents, I have seen a woman, go get her for me. (laughs) If your parents question you, simply say, no, go get her for me. She's the one for me. That's quote. That's Samson in Judges 14. You can find a woman that you really liked, who's already married and kill her husband and take her. That's what David did in 2 Samuel 11. You can wait for your brother to die and take his widow. That's what Onan did with Boaz. Or don't be so picky. Make up for equality with quantity. Have a thousand women in your life. That's what Solomon did. Bottom line is, it's easy to say we want to do relationships according to the Bible, but there's a lot of ways relationships happen in the Bible. You don't look at descript. Excuse me. You don't look at what what happened, description, what was described, and get prescription what you have to do. There are principles though that do flow out. I want to give you a list of principles um, that all start with C. I've got 
12 of them. If you want to take notes, then you can. These would be good things for you guys to talk about. These are principles that I think you ought to think about in understanding how to pursue relationships in a way that honors Christ. And if you do relationships in a way that honors Christ, you're going to be happy. You're going to be fulfilled. You are going to be absolutely the envy of all your friends because they'll look at your marriage and say, wow, what is that? Number one, principle number one, Christ. Christ. Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. Very important uh, verse with a very important preposition. Colossians 1, 18. The very end of that, it says that Jesus Christ might come to have first place in everything. We typically look at that, that idea and we think Jesus Christ is to have first place above everything. Jesus Christ is not... Hold on, don't throw me out until you hear me, hear me out. He's not number one on the priority list. Jesus isn't number one. And he's not even number two. First place in everything means Jesus is first place in number one and in number two and three and four and five. He's first place in our relationships, first place in our church, first place in our home, first place in our marriage, first place in our sibling relationships, first place with our parents, first place in how we eat, first place in how we sleep. He is first place to have preeminence in everything we do. He's not number one. He's number everything on the list. Meaning that Christ should have preeminence, that Christ should have bearing on who you pursue, how you pursue them, and whether or not you are pursuable. Does Christ come to bear? Not just Christianity, not just morality. The person of Christ. Listen, if Jesus Christ rose from the dead and is alive today, that's a game changer. That makes a massive difference in your relationship. Huge difference in your relationship. We don't want to just be people who adhere to a Christian standard. We want to be people who are sold out, in love with, obsessed with the living, resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. Is He at issue? Is He something that you talk about with this person of interest? If He's not the center in the beginning, trust me, He won't be the center later. So is Christ at issue? Listen, Christ won't be the center of your relationships if He's not the center of your life. Is He what matters most to you? Is He preeminent? Does He dominate the landscape everywhere you look, everywhere you think? It's the person of Christ. It's the gospel. That Jesus, and if you're visiting with us now and you don't understand this, this you came out a good night. Because let me tell you some really cool news. Every man is alienated from God. Alienated because of sin. We were born with a stiff arm in God's face. No one teaches a two-year-old how to disobey. We all do it naturally. In order to take care of that sin, this is what's remarkable. There's no religion on the planet, no religion in the history of the world that sounds like this. That God sends His only Son, who's also God, to live a perfect life, unblemished, unstained, no sin in thought or deed, and for Him to take death, which is the punishment for sin, 
on behalf of sinners who believe in him. But here's what it gets even better. And then to give to believers his perfection. You know what it takes to go to heaven? You've got to be perfect. Anybody qualify for that? Only one. And Jesus, the Romans uses the word imputes, grants, puts to our credit his righteousness, his perfection. And he, God the Father accepts us as his righteousness and takes care of our sin by Jesus' death on the cross. You say, well, how do you know that? Because he rose from the dead. He proved it all. He spiked the ball by rising from the dead. If you'll believe that, change your life. Change your relationship. Change your parenting. Set the direction and trajectory for, trajectory for everything you do. So if you believe that, live like you do. And if you don't know that, believe it. You can be, listen, you can be forgiven of all your sins tonight. That's, that's really good. Really good. And be counted perfect before God. You say, what if I ever sin again? His righteousness covers our imperfections. He, he looks at our credit statement and it says, perfect but the righteousness of Christ. No matter what you did or do. It's amazing. I just summarized the book of Romans for you which I'm preaching back at Mission Road. Christ. Is Christ the center? Is He the head of the relationship they're pursuing? Number two, church. Church. Oh, church. Um, If your life is not embedded, and I, I don't mean like you attend, I mean embedded in the life of the church, then your relationship will always be anemic spiritually. It just won't grow like it should. Find someone in the church who wants to grow, who's putting themselves under truth, who's putting themselves in the way of study and truth and Bible studies. Find someone who's in church. And don't be a missionary dater. Well, I'm just going gonna, gonna to lead them to that. Well, have, have another girl lead her to that, guys, and then find her in the church. Is church important? Is church important to you? Now, this is not the preacher... You know, uh, coming and saying, you better come to church every week so I have somebody to preach to. I don't mean on Sunday mornings. I mean everything that happens Sunday to Sunday and everything in between where your life is embedded with other believers. That that you're moving and motivating each other to love Christ better and more richly and more strongly. Relationships should bud and blossom in the context of the church. Which leads to number three, confirmation. Now, this is one that uh, is a bone in some people's throats. Confirmation. What do you mean by that? The people who are closest to you, who are walking with Christ, pastors, elders, parents, ought to confirm this is a good idea. If the people who love Christ around you most are looking at the relationship you're pursuing and saying, I don't think that's a good idea, I got news for you. It's not a good idea. Listen to the people around you. Now just for a minute, are you still in Proverbs? Look over at Proverbs 12, verse 15. We could spend the rest of the night just on this confirmation principle that you want to be affirmed by people who, who can give you counsel. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15. The way of a fool is right. Where? 
in his own eyes. A fool is right in his own eyes. And a wise man is he who listens to counsel. True story. A year and a half ago, there was a couple that Kim and I were counseling as a premarital. They were, they were engaged. They were getting married. We started talking to them. We spent uh, uh, several um, weeknights with them. One night, one week, we spent about three weeknights with them, multiple hours. I remember when they left that last time, that one time, when, and Kim and I looked at each other. They, they walked out the door. We closed the door and we looked at each other and said, DEFCOM 5, this is a problem. This is not good. He's not good for her. She's not good for him in the way they are. It was, it was bad. They came back a couple of nights later, and we told them that. Before I finish that story, I want to tell you about dozens of other couples who have said, boy, I don't know about this. And they say, forget you, I'm in love. I, that's always the, I'm in love. You just don't understand, I'm in love. I want, where are you in there? I want to see the love. What, in love, that's good. And they just give you the stiff arm. This couple didn't. We told them that. They broke it off. That night they broke it off. They walked out the door and Kim and I stood at the door again and went, it's, it's weird when people do what you ask them. <laughs> or suggest. They worked so hard, he with me, she with this other lady who was discipling her. A year later they get engaged. They get married three months later. They have an amazing relationship. They just got married this last summer. Unbelievable. They listened to counsel. And when they got married, they weren't the same as when they were having those conflicts. Which we'll come back to in just a second while they're having conflict. Look over to chapter 21 while we're here. Again, we could spend all night on this confirmation. Chapter 21, verse 2. Every man's way is right in his own eyes. In other words, it's hard to see objectively, when, especially when emotions are involved. So if people are saying, hang on a second, even if it goes against everything you, you feel, which it probably will, trust them. To hang. Now, a little footnote. If everybody's saying, this is great, this is of the Lord, we think this is great, and one person says, well, no way, they could have 10,000 bad reasons. Maybe they like your boyfriend. Maybe they're not, not, not walking with the Lord. Just, you're, you're getting the best and wisest people around you. Write this down in your brain, okay? If you want an opinion, ask your peers. If you want counsel, ask someone older and godlier. Two different things. You should, opinions aren't bad. Ask your peers. But make sure that people are confirming, especially your parents. Even if your parents are unbelievers and they're saying, hang on a second, I would hang on a second. Make sure that the people around you are confirming this is a good idea, which means you're not dating in secret. You ever have that, that, those people that, that just, you know, they, they hold hands like underneath things? You don't want anybody to see. What are you afraid of? What are you ashamed of? Be in a place where people can confirm and affirm you. Number four, communication. I'm not going to get into all this. Ephesians 4 gives you a whole list of ways to communicate, including don't let the sun go down on your wrath. My wife and I... When we, uh, when we got married, we made a commitment. We got on our knees our first night of our honeymoon. We were praying together. 
in our first prayer, we made a commitment to each other. We said we will never go to bed with an unresolved issue. And in God's good grace, in 20 years, we, we haven't done that. But it has changed. Because a few weeks into marriage, she meanly <laughs> stole my patented move. If you've used this move, guys, you owe me royalties because I own this move, which was pout and walk out of the room. Oh, don't act macho. You know what pout and walk out of the room means. It's a good move. And she comes in, okay, honey. Anyway. Um, we change that to we can't leave each other's presence with an unresolved issue. And then we had kids. And we're in the van. The Honda Odyssey van. The Bastion of Joy van. The van in which Satan rides to church, by the way. <laughs> I said that one time in a group, and my son afterwards said, Dad, why'd you call me Satan? I said, because <laughs> you act like not in Satan. <laughs> but we would get in a spat, and I remember, you know, honey, one, no, 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 no. Well, okay, no, no, no. Back and forth. And the boys are going. <laughs> Two points. <laughs> Six points for mom right there. Extra point. That was all good. And, and we found out that if we got into an argument in front of our boys, we had to get out of the argument in front of our boys, which meant confession of sin and asking forgiveness of itemized, look like a tax form, itemized sin. Honey, will you forgive me for A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J. <laughs> communication and number five, by the way, is conflict resolution. They go hand in glove. Do you know how to communicate? Do you communicate with words? Guys, you knucklehead guys, look at me. You doofus Aurelius knucklehead guys. I'm the president of that club, okay? Communication. Guys just don't know how to communicate. Girls know how to over-communicate. So. <laughs> Look, I figured this out early in marriage. I come home. Kim would say, how was your day? That was good. <laughs> Any other questions? <laughs> how was your day? Well, I woke up this morning. First thing I... <laughs> I believe you. I believe you. <laughs> she wants to know where I went, who I met with, where did I go to lunch, what did I have for lunch, was it good, should we go there later? Well, I mean, it was, and, it, and I had to learn that we needed to meet in the middle in, in communication. Now, with dating guys, doofus Aurelius guys, you can't communicate with nonverbals. They're uninterpretable. <laughs> or they're interpretable in the wrong thing. You know, if you spend like seven of the next... Ten nights with a girl and don't say, I'm interested in you. There's a good chance she might think that you're interested in her. You're thinking, oh, I just want to get to know her, man. You know, she's cool and pretty. I don't know who McFly. <laughs> just communicate, guys. And girls, don't assume. Guys, I want you to hear what I'm going to tell the girls. Don't assume anything he has not told you. 
If he's taking you out seven nights in a row, appreciate the meals. <laughs> That's all it is. Until he says more. I guess, you know, it's, it's, it's different. I mean, uh, John, you're, you're a fossil now, so you know this. Um, John, John Montoya, who my, my son's called John Montana. John Montana. He has a whole state named after him. Although I have a whole country named after me. So it's a small one. Um, we used to go out for meals. Now that you, you go out for coffee. Is that like a cheap way of entertaining, you know, coffee? It's not even coffee. It's like 90% milk with some coffee flavor. But anyway. <laughs> Just communicate. Talk. Now, now, don't, you shouldn't over-communicate the first night. You're like, you know, you're the one for me. You don't know that yet. Doofus Aurelius. Number six, correction. You still in Proverbs? Chapter 27. Correction. Chapter 27, verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Are one of the things that I loved most about Kim was that she would confront me and correct me. When we were dating, she wouldn't get, let me get away with things. So are you correctable and will you correct? You've got to ask yourself that. Are you correctable? For example, real story. Girl and a guy in our church. Um, let's just say his standards on movies were not her standard on movies. Took her out to see a movie she didn't know what it was about. Halfway through it, she got up and left because there was inappropriate stuff on, on the screen. That's not the big deal, frankly. The big deal happened afterwards, or a few minutes later when he walked out and said, what's wrong? And she said, look, this doesn't honor Christ. What are you doing? And he began to defend how it was art and not sin to watch that. If, By the way, is, am I looking at nakedness is not art, it's pornography. I, I mean, and don't say, well, it doesn't bother me. Hey, it bothers Jesus. He died for it. It's a real simple principle. Don't be entertained by stuff Jesus died for. Forget the RG, PG, 13, 17, 46. doesn't matter. Why are you being entertained for things for which Jesus died? Anyway, the big deal was he was utterly uncorrectable in that moment. We talked to her, Kim and I did, this girl, and she said, you know, if he had said, I'm so sorry, uh, you're right, she said, I would have I, I, I given him another chance. We would have spent some time together. But because he defended himself and wouldn't be correctable at all on that, I was done. She said, take me home, as well she should have. Are you correctable by attitudes and actions and words and languages? And will you correct True love corrects. You know why we don't correct each other and confront each other? Because we love ourselves. We love ourselves so much that we want you to love us. And if you are offended by me correcting you, you might not love me, so I'm not going to correct you. Are you correctable and will you correct? Correction is a part of marriage. I got married people here going, oh yeah, it's very much a part of marriage. Number seven, convictions. Wow, is this important. Convictions. Let's talk first about, about theolog- first about theological convictions. Do you know what they believe theologically? Now, I'm not going to make any, uh, uh, we're not going to have a Bible study right now, but let me just ask you some questions. Do you know what they believe? Are they, do they lean toward a Calvinistic scale or an Arminian scale? A charismatic scale, scale or, a, or a, 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 a non-charismatic scale? Uh, uh, 
have you talked about these things? Have you talked about how you, you want to, another C coming up is children. Have you talked about where you want your kids to go to church? This goes back to church. If you're in the same church, you ought to be under the same direction, going, moving the same place doctrinally. Have you talked about convictions? Have you talked about convictions about entertainment? Have you talked about uh, convictions about purity? We'll get to purity in a second. Have you talked about what your, what your core beliefs, your convictions are? You can only find out what convictions are, guys, by talking, by asking questions. Help me understand that. Why did you do that? Let's, let's talk about that. I've seen a lot of relationships get started on emotion, get started on that ooey-gooey, rich and chewy feeling in your tummy, and only to get down the road after you're already emotionally engaged with one another. And then you find out you have serious belief Worldview differences, that's really hard. Talk about what you believe. What are your convictions? What do you believe about theology, about these issues, about dating? What do you, what do you, what do you believe? Are you willing to talk about that? Number eight, cash. Kind of has something to do with convictions. Do you have the same view of, of money? I hate to keep giving you stories, but there was a, a couple uh, who my wife and I were dealing with several years ago who ended up breaking up because he would spend water like money and she was a, a, you know, so thrifty she saved paper clips. And we, this is a collision. And fortunately, we didn't have to get in the way. They finally just said, we, we can't live with each other like that. We could never be together because our convictions about money are so different. You should talk about money. Why? Because where your treasure is, there is your heart also. God, Jesus said, you cannot serve God and man, God and mammon. Show me your checkbook, and I'll tell you your priorities. Pretty simple. Show me your checkbook. Let me look at your ledger. Let me, funny story. Uh, there's a restaurant called Coco's across the street from Grace Church where I used to um, be a college pastor, and I had an elder take me out. I said, look, I, want, I need a discipleship relationship. I want you in my life, and I, I was really passionate. I want you to uh, help me, disciple me, make me more godly. He said, okay, we'll come uh, next, uh, next week. We'll meet at Coco's, okay? So I'm really spiritual. I'm going to get discipled. I'm so excited about that. We sit down. We order breakfast. He says, hey, is your, do you have your checkbook with you? And I said, yeah, I thought he needed some money or something. I, I, you know, I didn't have any money, but I thought, wow, one of the elders wants some money. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write him a check, and I'm going to get the credit for this in heaven and here. It's going to be good. <laughs> so I went out the car. I got my checkbook. And he says, um, he says, uh, can I have it? And I said, sure. And he, he flipped it up. And he starts looking through the register. And I started getting really hot. Now, I didn't have a lot of money. I was in seminary at the time. I was seminoid. So I, 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 it was, wasn't a lot. But I said, Bill, what are you doing? He says, well, I'm, I'm looking at your priorities. This was before we had ATM cards and debit cards and stuff. We actually wrote checks with our hands in ink and put in, the, in this little place what it, you spent the money for. It was, he was checking my priorities. Cash, will, how you spend money reveals your priorities. Know that about one another. Number nine, drum roll, ready. I had to find a C word, chastity. It's a word for purity. If you, do, if you want to keep... The C is going with chastity, that's fine. If you want to put purity, that's okay. Purity. Okay, here's where everyone gets uncomfortable. Okay, ready? 
That means that physically and emotionally you're not doing things that married people alone should be doing. Pretty simple, right? It just gets always quiet when you talk about that. No one moves. By the let me give you a little footnote. I'm going to talk about purity here for a minute. If, if you've been impure in the past, if you've been impure today, we have a great Savior. There is no one so stained that the gospel cannot salvage for God's glory. So just let me beat you up for a second, beat all of us up for a second, but just know that there, there is no sin greater than God's grace. None. But people who are dating without biblical parameters and standards tend to move toward sexual behavior. Al Mohler says this, he says, men are, committed, or men are tempted to look at pornography. Women are tempted to commit pornography. Now this is not the time for a modesty talk, although that would be a great thing for you guys to study. First day I took my, my son Luke to high school. I dropped him off high school in Valencia or in uh, um, Santa Clarita, California. Dropped him off. Um, I mean, I can remember, it was just, he had his helmet and his shoulder pads over his helmet with his jersey. He was holding it. He's walking in to school the first day. And, um, and right in front of me walked these three girls who had what could only be called an attempt at wearing shorts. And these shirts that I, I just began to sweat and I began to weep for two reasons. First of all, I thought, my son is going to have to look at this. And secondly, I thought, where's your dad, girls? Who let you walk out the door like that today? Girls, do you really want guys looking at your nakedness? Guys, do you really want a girl who's happy for everyone to look at her nakedness? Then there's the getting together, the messing around. You say, how far can we go? Can we hold hands? Can we interlock fingers? (laughs) Guys' thumbs always got to be on top. Can we side hug? Can we A-frame hug? (laughs) Can we FBH? You know what FBH is? Full body hug. Can we kiss on the cheek? Can we kiss on the lips? Can we kiss in a foreign land? Can we, you, you know, you uh, stop, okay? <laughs> Here's what everybody asks. You get in a relationship and you, and you know, your hormones get going I've, from books I've read. And um, um, just, that was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I, uh, between the fourth and fifth, third and fourth grade, I took each of my sons out and had that talk with them. And one of my sons says, uh, I did, I did, I mean, I was father of the year. I told him the whole thing, and he was like, oh, okay, mm, well, that's interesting. Uh, is that what those dogs were? It was, it was really weird. So um, he, uh, 
we're, I said, you don't have any, any questions? He says, no, I don't have any questions. So we're getting in the car, we're going home, and he says, okay, I have one question. I'm, okay, here we go. He says, is there like a pill or something I can take so I never, ever get those hormones? So, <laughs> my older son, I'm, he's not here, so I'm going to talk about him. He, um, he said, um, I told the whole thing to him, same time, two years earlier, and he says, uh, he was eating, a, we were at Pete's ice, we were at Pete's, and I was having Pete's iced tea, and, he, and, a, and a scone. He was having some uh, blueberry muffin. He's eating his blueberry muffin. He goes, okay, okay, okay. He goes, did you and mom? <laughs> remember, I have three sons. And I said, well, yeah. And then he goes, yeah, just three times, right? <laughs> How far can you go? Watch this. When you say, when you say, how far can I go? What you're doing is you're looking over there at going all the way. You're looking at sin and you're saying, there's sin. How far, how far can I go and be safe? You see that? What's the right question? How holy can I be? Listen, by God's grace, my wife and I were pure when we got married. But I want to tell you, when we got engaged, I wanted to do what married people get to do. And so before we were engaged, I would take her, I'd walk her up the door, give her a little kiss on the cheek, and send her in her apartment. And then we got engaged, and I would drive up to the apartment, and I would say, get out and run. <laughs> Fast. Now, and lock the door when you get inside. Some of you have blown it. Let me just tell you, Jesus Christ is an amazing Savior who will forgive that sin, and you can wear white in heaven because of him on your wedding day. So don't, don't feel beaten up. Feel like there's hope. But if you're in a relationship, you're in beginning a relationship, if you're in a relationship, you gotta be holy, you gotta be pure. Here's the, let me give you an illustration. Here's the, look at this as a fence. There's a fence right here. You see the fence? Good. Um, here's the fence. Inside this fence is this precious thing called marriage. Outside, sex is only supposed to happen Physical contact, sexually, is supposed to only happen inside marriage, on the other side of that fence. If you don't respect that fence before you get into marriage, what makes you think you're going to respect that fence when you're in marriage? It didn't mean, it, it wasn't a boundary before you got into it. Why would it be a boundary once you're in it? If, if you're just like, oh, I, we just can't not do this, then get married. That's what it's for. Sex is God's wedding gift. But be warned. I was preaching on this in Los Angeles on purity, and I had a freshman from the Master's College. After, I mean, after the, that's this, this series, there would be a line, three or four, eight people want to talk and ask a question. So I noticed him in the back, and he, people would get behind him, and he'd kind of get out, and he'd get in the back of the line again. And someone would get behind him and he'd get out and he, he wanted to be the last guy. He was the last guy. The gym was just about empty. And so he looks around and he's really nervous. He goes, Rick, what's it like to have sex every day? And so I looked around. <laughs> And I said, I have no idea. 
It's just not like what you think. You don't spend a lot of time in bed when you're married. You spend a lot of time with each other, with each other's soul. That's what you should be learning to love and get to know. Now, number 10, children. Do you have the same convictions on children? You know, it's kind of a funny thing to talk about, but when you're starting to get serious, do you, a reason to get married is to have children. Now, it's okay if you want to say, look, we're not going to have children right away or whatever, but if you get married and say, we will never have children, then you've misunderstood what one of the purposes of marriage is. The only reason to get married, by the way, is because you believe that you can glorify God better with this person than you can with anyone else or being single. That's why you get married. And part of that includes you're going you're to make babies together. And if you can't, I love this movement in our churches, this adoption. James says it's pure and undefiled religion to take care of orphans. Have you talked about your convictions on children? I mean, I'm not for child abuse. I hope that's a given. But the Bible talks about spanking. Have you talked about your convictions on that? A proper way of doing that? Uh, are your kids going to go to public school, private school, Christian school? Have you, have you, that reveals your convictions when you start talking about those things. So as you're getting serious, talk about children. You say, during the dating relationship? Yes, during the dating relationship. You don't want your wife to get pregnant and say, what do you want to do in school? Well, definitely, definitely Christian school. Well, no, homeschool. No, private school. No, know what your convictions are. Number 11, care. Do you know how to care for each other? Most relationships in college begin on, I like this person because they really do a good job of caring for me, the most important person in my life. Do you know how to care? This is about basic Christian service, giving your life away. Do you know how to care for them? Do you know what their likes are? My wife, my sweet wife, I love my wife. I outpunted my coverage when I got my wife. She is, on a scale of 1 to 10, she's 169. I mean, she is an f- unbelievable woman. I, I like her. <laughs> First Peter 3 says, live with your wife in an understanding way. That means become an expert in, on your wife. It doesn't take much. My, my, my wife likes this one place that sells Coke Zero with um, soft ice. What's it, you know what soft ice is called? Um, not ice cubes. It's crunchy, slushy kind of ice. What's that called? It's not shaved ice. It's soft, mushy ice, okay? When I... St- if I stop on the way home and bring her a Coke Zero with that ice, it means the world to her because I know that she likes it and she, she does it. Now, I like foot massages. And it hasn't worked so well the other way. <laughs> it's you learn to care for the, for the other person. You're giving your life up. You're, you're learning to make their life better because they have you in it rather than doing what our default is, which is to make sure I life is, our life is better because they're in it. See the difference? Lose yourself in love. Love is an act. It's an action. It's a verb. It's not a feeling. Number 12. Last one. Drum roll. Ready? Commitment. Now we're talking about love. What is love? Here's a big biblical definition for love. 
an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. That's love. Unconditional. I'm going to love you no matter what. When I, when I do wedding ceremonies, I, I love to, they, they hand me the rings. It's one of my favorite parts. And they, you know, I'm holding those rings and they're looking at each other and they're just so excited. And they haven't heard anything I've said before then. So it's kind of nice to get their attention for a moment. And I'm holding those rings and I said, I want to challenge you when you put this ring on that <clears throat> the rest of your life, this ring is going to catch your attention. It's going to get, it's going to clink on the refrigerator. It's going to, you're going to see it when you're driving on, on uh, the car. Uh, it's, going to, it's going to get tighter sometimes. <laughs> Loose sometimes as life treats you. But I, I always say, I want you to, when you, every time you look at that ring, I'm looking at mine right now, I want to remember, I put that on the first time after I made a promise. Let me give you a little insight into pastoral weddings, okay? The couple, well, usually the, the guy comes out. Usually it's me and the guy and the best man that we come out, and the guys that are come down, either couples or whatever, everybody comes down, and then the, they close the doors, and the music starts, and they fling the doors open. The mother of the bride stands up. Everyone stands up, and here she comes. And they come up the stairs, and they fix the train, and they grab the flowers, and fixes the train again. And then grab the, and then they, quit fixing the train, okay? <laughs> Matrons of honor, just let the train be, okay? And they make a promise, and then they, they usually go out to some funky song. Let me tell you a secret. Neither of those people have changed at all, except they made a promise. The same two people who came into that room are the exact same people who walk out of that room except now they're stuck with each other as two sinners living under the grace of God. It's commitment. Love is a commitment. Love has no back door. Have you talked about your convictions about divorce? There's this movement now about Christian prenups, prenuptial arrangements. How about one prenuptial arrangement? Here it is. Here's our prenup. Here's mine and Kim's prenup. We will never talk about divorce. The D word is not even allowed in our vocabulary. It's not a threat. It's not a possibility. We have to work it out. It's a commitment. If you don't understand that love is a commitment... You, listen, this is a big statement. If you don't understand that biblical love is a commitment, your relationship is ever so fragile. Because it could fall apart based on a whim. I remember my wife was, she was pregnant with Luke, our first. And as it was getting nearer, she was getting larger. That's what you do when you have babies. They grow right out of your belly. It's amazing. I remember we were having dinner one night and Kim just said, I just feel so big and emotions. And I wasn't being 
super husband, and I wasn't flattering her, and I wasn't lying. I just looked across the table and said, you have never been more beautiful to me than right now. You're carrying our boy. Your, your body is carrying something that God did between us. This is, this is incredible. Are you committed? Have you thought about what it would mean to break that promise? Proverbs 5, we won't take the time to look at this. Proverbs 5 talks about infidelity, the wayward woman. And Solomon tells his son, Rehoboam, Weigh the consequences. Think it through so you don't ever go there. In other words, think about what it would mean to tell your wife that you've been unfaithful or your children you've been unfaithful or your elders or your church and then erase that tape and never go there. Why? Because you're committed. You're committed. Here, let, me, let me just be brutally honest with you. I love my wife. I think she's a knockout. She's godly sweet lady. In, on any given day, I could probably find a girl prettier than Kim. On any given day, I could probably find a lady who is more godly than Kim. I could probably find a girl who is lighter or heavier or taller or shorter or, or X or Y or Z than Kim. But I could never find Kim. All of who she is. Satan doesn't tempt you with the totality of something else to break your commitment. He tempts you with slivers. Be committed to a person. It will communicate so much to your children. Lamarck came in July. He's our 14-year-old. One of his classmates at school, he goes to a public school. One of his classmates had called him and said, uh, hey, um, they, they were supposed to do something. He said, look, um, can we spend the night at your house, not mine? Mark asked us, sure. So he was going to go spend the night. And Mark, Mark said, how come? And he said, well, mom and dad are fighting again. And dad left and said he's not coming back. Ryan came over to our house that weekend. And you cannot describe the turmoil on that poor kid's life. I'm the, I'm the son of divorced parents. I've lived it. I've been there. I know it. i felt it. Your marriage isn't just for you. It's not just for God. It's for children to see this is what marriage should be like. And when it's broken, this is how Christians fix it and communicate we're not talking about perfection. We're talking about progress and direction. All right. Sew it all up. Eye contact will be done. Do you have a plan for relationships? You say, well, I'm not dating right now, so I don't need one. No, 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 no. <laughs> now is when you need to develop that plan before the emotions are involved. So if you're single, there's nobody involved... Develop, take this list, talk about it, get in, in groups, develop your convictions on this now before anything happens. 
Others of you are in a relationship, and you're maybe at the beginning, you're saying, wow, here's some good things for us to talk about. Some of you could be in a relationship right now, and you, are, you have blown it on eight of these 12. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. But you need to submit yourself to someone who can give you some hope and some counsel. That's what this church is for. Some of you are here at college, away from home, away from your parents. Number two is really important. Develop these things in the context of church with counsel and confirmation, oversight and wisdom, prayer. I would just beg you, if you don't have a plan, I can promise you the enemy of your soul does have a plan for your relationships. Be out ahead of him. Have a plan. Let me say it again. The only reason to get married is because you believe that with that person you can glorify God better than you can as a single or with anybody else. So figure out who can you glorify God best with? Who can you make much of the gospel with the rest of your life? If you do that, you will be, you'll be better than happy. You know what you'll be? You'll be satisfied with each other. Physically, emotionally, spiritually. Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. Ever been there? It's, there's a few cities. Saved up. Uh, it's, it's one, I remember, it's probably more than this now. I don't, I don't frequent this place. $30 for a steak a la carte, which means it's $30 for the meat, and then you spend another $6 on mashed potatoes. It's a root that grows in the ground, okay? I don't understand that, but it's whatever. So we saved up for our anniversary. We saved some date money up. I took Kim there. This is 15 years ago. And we had this great steak. And I remember there's thinking $30 for a steak. And then I took a bite and said, $30 for a steak. (laughs) It's okay. Comes out on a plate, 500 degrees with butter on it. It's sizzling. As my dad used to say, that was so good. You put that thing on top of your head, your tongue will slap your brain silly trying to get after it. <laughs> Tennessee, okay. Tennessee. We had our steak. We had our potatoes. Kim loves chocolate. She loves chocolate so much, I think sometimes I'm going to come home and find her with a Hershey syrup IV. I mean, she's, <laughs> she loves chocolate. I like fruit. I like apple pie or, or um, uh, apple pie. So... <laughs> and blackberries, and huckleberries. But anyway, and a huckleberry shake. So um, we, at the end of the meal, the waitress brings the, you know how they bring that, that dessert at the end? It's got one of everything they serve, and then she showed us. And, and I wanted to be honor, honoring to my wife. I said, honey, the chocolate cake. I said, you want some chocolate cake? It's, you like chocolate? And there's chocolate mousse cake, flourless. How does that work, by the way? How do you make a cake without flour? Don't start, this is one girl. I'm going to tell you right now. Just kidding. Rhetorical, rhetorical. And I said, do you want something? She says, do you want something? Well, do you want something? Do you want something? The water's going, please. So finally we said, no. We were not tempted by dessert because we've been so satisfied with the meal. If you do relationships right, You won't be tempted by anything else. You will be so 
satisfied in a God-honoring, Christ-centered relationship. Father, give these precious students and people convictions and a plan for doing the relationships in a way that honors you. Please help them to secure to their soul the things that we talked about tonight that are biblical, to erase the things that were not. Cause them to be thoroughly God-centered in the way they think about relationships. For your glory, for their good, for the honor of the people that will see them, for the legacy of their children. Lord, give them a stage on which the gospel can be shown through their marriage. And I have to pray, Lord, I have to ask you, if there are no doubt some who have violated some of these principles, help them to find grace in the gospel, hope in counsel, renewed commitment because of your truth and repentance that they can turn another another page and do it differently. Thank you for their attention. In Jesus' name, amen.